Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. I I, thought I saw a bird. I didn't even count you off that time. You didn't. No. You just brought the bird right in. Hey, Jim, I got a question for you. Yeah. Are you a regular listener? Why not? Subscribe to the Practical Guitarist using our chosen podcast app. Take the time to put in a review at the service where you found our podcast, like iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Get involved. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Practical Guitarist. You can also find us on Twitter as at Practical Guitarist. If you're interested in supporting the show, we have launched a Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. If you'd like to donate money to the show, there's always Patreon. Our Patreon is available at patreon.com slash Practical Guitarist. And I'm sure Jim will have some exclusive content where he's tweaking his nipples on my screen right now. If you'd like to reach out to us directly, you can do so at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Practicalguitarist.com. I, I had a giant smile on my face the entire thing. And um, it was not because you were tweaking your nipples. It was because was I was not. going to embarrass you for tweaking your nipples. Yeah, it was very much so. <laughs> so All right. So last week. Last, last week, episode. Last episode. We talked about. Previous you know, episode. We're not in season two yet. Practical Guitarist. <laughs> Um, last episode we talked about, um, Richie fucking Blackmore and Ingve fucking Malmsteen. Um, the, the F expletive is to, is like a title for these gentlemen. Yes. Yes. Um, so what, what, this brought up an interesting discussion between Jim and I outside the show where we talked about, um, super groups, super groups. Yeah, are you familiar with this terminology? Uh, if you're not, a supergroup is a group of people that come together from other musical backgrounds to form a musical collective that produces usually one to two albums and then collapses. Yeah. Um, usually. And uh, many of these albums are good and timeless. Many of mm-hmm. them are fraught with turmoil. Uh, oftentimes, yep. these supergroups happen more than once. So they, yep. they get together and then they break up and then they get back together. Um, in some cases they spawn other super groups where, yep. you know, all the members actually kick somebody out and then call themselves something different. Um, so and I, some of the, some super groups are just members of a, another group with another person. Yes. Yes. Um, that is, that is in fact the case. Um, I would recommend if you're listening to this show and you are at a computer, you can follow along with our list of super groups via Wikipedia. Yes. Um, I will put it in the show notes as well, but they have a list, which is fairly comprehensive of by year, the supergroups that happen and dating back to, I believe the first ones they list are in 1965. Um, and surprisingly enough, as you said before, one of the first supergroups was Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young was the first supergroup. Um, and I don't recall where all, well, they list it here so I can go through them, but I know, yeah, I actually well, do know where everybody came from. I know that Stephen Stills came from what? Buffalo Springfield. Yeah. He was um, in Buffalo Springfield. David Crosby was in the birds. Was in the birds. Uh, Graham Nash was from the Hollies. Um, yep. they were all brought together by Mama Cass. Right. Yep. And then, yep. uh, Neil Young was brought in later. So actually their first record was Crosby, Stills and Nash, and they didn't bring oh. in Neil Young until 1969 and then he quit and, then, and rejoined the group sporadically for years 
Yeah, um, he pretty much quit the album after that, right? He was pretty much gone right yeah, after. Yeah, and actually, even funnier, their their drummer was the guy from the Turtles. So, yeah. so technically, and uh, he was never truly like a named member of the band. He was, right. he was from another group. So, right. um, they're the first. So, actually, they're not the first. The first successful and really chart topping supergroup was actually probably Cream. Really, they beat they beat uh, Crash and Young. Wow. Yeah, I guess they did. So it had Eric so, Clapton from the Yardbirds <laughs> and John Mayall and the Blues Breakers, and they had Jack Bruce from Grant, the Graham Bond organization. I always say it wrong. Graham Bond organization and Manfred Mann, and then Ginger Baker, who is also from the Graham Bond organization. So that's a, a classic case of they already did this other band. So right. now, you know, so they decided that they were going to. Um, well, I would argue that the Yardbirds would have been a super group of, yeah. of a type. Because well, yeah, but I think the yard. So to qualify as a super group, all your members have to come from um, some sort of background. In so we could have a we could have a completely different discussion of what um, of yeah. other groups like Toto and Little River Band. Oh, Toto like is that. absolutely a super group, and I guarantee you they're on this list. Absolutely a super group, um, because <clears throat> those guys maybe didn't have other bands before, but they were well known. They were session players. So, like, right now, the session players who are hot right now, you probably don't know their names yet. Right. You'll know them in five years when they do something else. Right. Um, and right. that was not the case with the guys in Toto. Like, people knew who Luke Lather was when he was Yeah, but doing, he was only, what was he, 20 when he started Toto? Yeah. Uh, he's he, one of he the might have been members little, Yeah, he might, have been, he might be a little older than that because he's, he's probably in his 50s or 60s now. Not by, yeah, but not by much. When you think about I think it, it might surprise um, you how old he actually is. He was, I think he was 16 when he started doing that stuff. But let's, let's start with the beginning. So we so, had Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Right. And of course the guitar playing from that was, um, uh, was really identifiable by the fact that, um, so, uh, one of their contemporaries was Joni Mitchell. Joni right. Mitchell, if you've ever played any of Joni Mitchell stuff, which I recommend, if you yeah. have a chance, if you really you know, want to try to do something fucking insane, uh, oh, try yeah. some of her tunes. You will learn new chords. I guarantee it. <laughs> and you will learn how to retune your guitar a hundred times over. Yes. Let me tell um, you something. That was a woman who she just, I don't think she did the same. Well, you know um, who was in her band, right? Twice. Do you know who well, was in her band? No. Robin Ford. Oh, geez. Well, that, that kind of explains it. <laughs> among she others. Doing, I mean, among yeah. others, but he was in her touring band at one point. Um, I'm sure she was doing those tunings just to keep up with his his uh, style of playing. She probably just tried to slow him down. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, she she brought that alternate tuning um, to uh, not so much um, Nash, because Nash was, uh, or Stills, Stephen Stills was um, her boyfriend at the time, I yeah. believe. Um, at least that love the one you're with type. Yeah, yeah for her and, um, Yeah, and... Uh, she, um, he was a bass player, if I remember right, for them and for um, Buffalo Springfield. But she brought that alternate tuning thing to uh, what's his name that came from the Birds, uh, Crosby. David Crosby. Yeah, yeah, David Crosby. Um, so Graham Nash, where did Graham Nash come from? Did he come from Buffalo Springfield as well, or was he kind of like 
his own thing. Uh, he was Buffalo. No, so what do you say? Um, Nash. I don't. I want to get this right. He was in the Hollies. Hollies. That's right. He was one of the vocalists um, for those uh, those songs that people know from the Hollies. So can we? So there's one that they left out of this this list. Mm-hmm. Um. 1967, the Jeff Beck yeah. group. Okay. Yeah. And um, I'm going to try to to point out the people that were in the original band, but but when I say one, you have to understand, he hadn't done anything up until this point. And that was Rod Stewart. So it was... Well, Rod- yeah, Rod Stewart was in the faces, right? Was that before or after the Jeff Beck group? I think that was after. Okay. Because um, I think his first record was... I'm looking to see what his first record was right now while we're talking about this because I'm I'm pretty sure it was uh, Jeff Beck group. Because you had um, Rod if, Stewart. If they, anybody who knows, comment in the Facebook group. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waste all your time right. looking for it. But so you it was had, Rod Stewart, Jeff Beck, Ronnie Wood, yep, Jet, Jet Harris, say, Wood. Jet Harris, quickly replaced by Dave Ambrose. Yep. So I mean, this is a who's who. But the funny thing is, this is a super group before super groups because. None of these guys, like Ronnie Wood, the, him and him and Rod Stewart went and started the Faces after this. The faces, right? When they left the Jeff Beck group, they they did the Faces. Yeah. So, right. So they they were active from 1969. Jeff Beck group was in 1967. So yeah, they they started it after. Yep. Which is which is pretty crazy if you think about it. Um. So again. This is this should not be surprising with anybody who's familiar with Jeff Beck's work. He's often doing things before everybody else does them. Um, so that's 1967. So that's between Cream and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Then in 1969, we have this like because because all these original bands like 1960, 1967 start breaking up, right? And so you right. have Blind Faith, which is Eric Clapton of the Yardbirds yep. and John oh, yeah. Bell, Blues Breakers, and Cream, uh, Ginger Baker from the Grand Bond Organization, and Cream. And Steve then Winwood Steve Winwood, right? right, right. He goes on. Who was just to be, a boy at that point. Yeah, he'd been in traffic in Spencer Davis group. Yep. And then uh, Rick Greck of the family. Yep. Um, and then you had Humble Pie, and this is my favorite one. Just oh, jeez. Steve Marietta, the small faces, Peter Frampton, the herd. Um, which I always thought that Peter Frampton's first band was Humble Pie, but it was actually the herd. Greg Ridley, a Spooky Tooth, which you'll probably see more people from Spooky Tooth in this list. Oh yeah. Um, I forgot about that band. <laughs> Nobody likes that band, but those right. guys that were in Listen, that band went on to be right. a foreigner and everything else. It was like, <laughs> what the hell? Uh, Clem yep. Clemson of Coliseum, Jerry Shirley yep. of Apostolic Intervention. It, it's cool to do this exercise. I know that this might be kind of boring for us to talk about these these things, but I it's, think it's cool this to is... do. Well, w- let's face it, Jim, we're, we're, we're the audience for this podcast. Um, <laughs> um, I think that people, I think our listeners are interested in this kind of thing. Yeah, if you've never looked at the supergroups, because like everybody knows there's these groups like Emerson, Lake and Palmer, and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Cream, and stuff like that. But you but don't realize how don't realize. many of them are, there are. Right. Uh, it's and how many insane. times they cross paths. Think about Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, and Jimmy Page. Yeah. And the- over and over and over. Yeah. Um, Grand Funk Railroad, right? Mark yep. Farmer from, or Farner from uh, Terry yep. Knight and the Pack. Don Brewer from Terry Knight in the Pack, Mel yep. Shaker from uh, Question in the Mysterians. So yep. that's 1969. There's two other bands. There's Cactus, which was Jim McCarty, Rusty Day, Tim Bogert, and Carmen Apice, or Apache, I was gonna say, depending on who, depending yeah, on what Carmen decade Apice. we're in. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> who later joined up with with Rod Stewart? Right. 
Um, and then the, of course, now we're getting into the, like the bigger ones late, the bigger ones of the, um, seventies, like Emerson, Lake and Palmer, which was right. Keith Emerson from the nice Greg Lake from the gods and King Crimson and Carl Palmer from Carl uh, Palmer. atomic rooster and the crazy world of Arthur Brown. Carl Palmer is probably the least well-known of this group, but has gone on to become probably the best known of the group other than Keith right. Emerson. Um, yeah, because he went on to be in Asia as well. The sad thing other, about other, the, that band is that both Keith and Greg are now gone. Yeah. Um, and Carl Palmer is, is carrying the torch, but I mean, you can't really <clears throat> replace Keith Emerson and Greg Lake. Uh, I would also argue that uh, Jimi Hendrix's Jimi Hendrix's first band was a was a super group of sorts because Hendrix was playing for who was the who was the guy he was playing for before he went solo. Um, which one are you doing? You're talking about the one in the 50s or the, the early 60s? Yeah. Uh, I don't have the record sitting in front of me. Let me pull up my phone real quick. So he was playing guitar for singers. Yes, he was. He played for Little Richard. He played for a lot yeah. of guys. Um, but there is a guy he cut records with. And, and then you had, um, so you go from that, and uh, his drummer came from somewhere else, and his um, bass player came from, uh, what, the Birds or something like that? So, yeah, I'm not seeing it in my list. I, I'll post it. This bass notes. player actually came in thinking he was going to be in for a guitar audition. Yeah, and they said, "No, you're going to be playing yeah. bass." Noel Redding. <laughs> yeah, Noel Redding. Um, and I'm, I'll put the I'll put the show notes for the other the other group that he worked with. I know he works with the Isley Brothers. That's uh, what was I was part of it. That's part, was. part of it. Um, yeah. I'm adding it to my notes right now. Um, yeah. So anyway, so now we're in the seventies. So we've got we started with Emerson Lake and Palmer in 1970. We also have Ginger Baker's Air Force. What By about the, Led Zeppelin? Uh, Led well, Zeppelin, if see, you ask me, that's a supergroup. The only thing that keeps Led Zeppelin from being a supergroup is that at, uh, up to Led Zeppelin, um, Page Robert was in Plant, the yard. Robert Plant was not well known, and neither was neither was um, John Bonham. So, no, but Page and. Uh, uh, what's his face were page um, and, and um, John Paul Jones. Yeah. John Paul, JPJ John Paul Jones. Um, right. And I, that's a super group of sorts. And it was supposed to be a super group. If I remember the story and I'm, I'm yeah, they I'm were going wanting from memory. Roger was, so he was wanting Roger Daltrey as a singer. Yeah. And, and John Keith Entwistle. Moon. No, it's Keith Moon, not John Entwistle. Um, yeah. no, actually, no, I take it back. I think they already, no, they had. He already had Robert Plant. He wanted Keith Moon, and he wanted John Entwistle, and it ended up ter- turning Keith out that Moon, when Keith, Keith Moon said something it, like, "If we did that, it would go over like a Led Zeppelin." Or something yeah, like that's that. actually where the where the title of the band came from. Because and they were intending on calling themselves the Yardbirds too, and I guess right. they jammed together. Like it was like gonna happen, and then they basically decided that no, this is probably not the right <laughs> way to do this, and so yeah. they because. Let's face it. Jimmy Page is not, he's not as rock and roll as, and I say that in the, like the kind of punk sense of the word as, right. um, as, uh, Pete Townsend, Pete Townsend. winds up becoming. Um, right. so I think that happened for the best. I, as much as I would have loved to see Keith Moon and Jimmy Page throw down together, I think that happened for the best. Um, and John Entwistle would have been a great choice too. Um, yes. but it just so happened that Robert Plant knew of this other drummer that was right. going to work really well. And uh, John Paul Jones was around 
you know, and it was like, okay, we could do this. Instead. I think that the one thing you can say about Keith Moon and um, John or uh, John Bonham, which, by the way, obviously they are very different drummers. Both oh, of them yeah. were, were locked in more um, with the melody than uh, the bass. They were able to play melodic lines on top of being able to keep that kick for the bass player to follow in. I want to. I want yes, excellent drummers. I do want to make a comment. I had a conversation with somebody about uh, John Bonham the other day, and I was told that his playing is very masturbatory. So you're my listener. Oh, you know who I'm talking. I'm I'm lo- I'm looking at you directly. And I said this. I said this in that group, and I'm going to say it on the podcast. I'll start listening to you when you find me a drummer that does not like John Bonham. Yeah. And when these people say, "Oh, well, uh, the guy from Foo Fighters, what's his name? Um, oh, Dave Grohl." Gro- Dave Grohl Dave Grohl's the torchbearer for rock and roll. Guess what? Guess who Dave Grohl's favorite drummer is? Oh, of course. <laughs> you know, it, there's you only two that, schools in rock drumming. There's two schools in rock drumming. There's Keith Moon and John Bonham, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and Jason Bonham had both because he was taught yep. by Keith Moon because Keith Moon yep. and John Bonham were good friends. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so uh, it's a whole thing. Anyway, so we get from there. We get to Der- Derek and the Dominoes, which is Clapton, yep. Whitlock, Rattle, Gordon, and Dwayne Allman. Um, yeah. which the funny thing is they list Dwayne Allman and the Allman brothers band. That hadn't happened yet. That was about, no. that was happening at the same time that Derek and the dominoes was because he had to, leave when, to go over there and do that record. Right. And, and Dwayne was in muscle shoals at that time, right? Uh, I think he had just dropped out of or that. Just whole left thing. muscle. Shoals. So I don't think muscle yeah, shoals was like an official band. I think, no, it, it was a, it was a, it was a, Project, it was a so coll- it was a collective, is what it was. Right. Like we need a, we need our band to play this song, and like we got the singer in here, so just call the guys yeah. up. And it was like they had a list, you know, and they just called themselves Muscle Shoals. It wasn't they weren't an official business entity or anything like. Oh that. no, no more than the Wrecking Crew was an official band. Right, right, it was right. Just, a, right. just the the regular guys they used together. Um, and then later on you have ABBA, which that I didn't know, and yeah, I don't recognize any group. of these bands, but they are a super group. Yeah, they were a super group and they were they were one of those production companies put them together to write. And you've got it. I can't I don't care what anybody says. They wrote some hooks and they were well loved and so, they were incredibly musical. So, so far, based on this, this list right here, the most prolific, we're into the mid 70s, by now. the most prolific bands. No, we're still like 71. The most prolific oh. bands are 72 for ABBA, by the way, uh, yeah. that we've seen are Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Yep. Cream, yep, and um, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Okay, yep. so more than three albums apiece. Um, yep. I, unless you consider Led Zeppelin. <clears throat> if you if you consider oh. Led Zeppelin, obviously they're clearly the most prolific of the of the set so far. Of those, uh, yeah, yeah. So now we have nineteen seventy two. We also got Beck Bogert in a piece. That yep. was one record. Okay, right. Um, the the faces was one record. Or two records. Yeah, it's two. You yeah, had the the small faces was like one record. Um, Blind tuna, or um, uh, that was only one or two records. So um, the, fu- then- the funny part is, if they're not counting Led Zeppelin, the most prolific band that we've talked about so far is ABBA. Yeah. Yep. So far, because ABBA lasted right into 1982. Yeah, long time. So yeah. Beck, Beck Bogart, a piece. We lasted one album. Then we got Journey. Yes, folks. Journey was a, Journey super, was a group. super group. That's right. 
making them easily the mo- the highest selling supergroup on this list and most prolific. Oh, ABBA would be up there next to them. With I the, suspect. The sales. I suspect Journey outsold ABBA a long time ago. Even though ABBA is a big band, the thing is, so you got to remember the three the like the three best selling bands of all time are still like the Beatles and um, Deep per- or not Deep Pearl, uh, Pink Floyd, the Beatles, and uh, Led Zeppelin. They have three right. three of the highest selling records of all time. ABBA sold three hundred and seventy five million records. Now, are they counting streams? Nope. Because we get singles we, and that's singles my and that's going to be my gripe at the end of this episode. We're going to talk about streams versus yeah, purchases. streams is a different thing, and I can't I can't go into that. All right, no, so, we're going to talk about um, that at the end of the episode because I want to I want to end on Wikipedia, that. Wikipedia is saying that there is a. ABBA's record sales are estimated at 400 million copies worldwide. What about Journey? You got to remember, they weren't as big in the States as they were overseas. Yeah, I know. Journey was <clears> big <throat> overseas too, though. In Asia, um, of all places. Let's see. Journey's record sales were... Now, Asia was big, but not that big. Uh, Journey record sales is in the 48 million yeah, and worldwide sales of 75 not million. Not even close. Not even I'm really surprised. They offered, that. they offered ABBA. I remember um, a thing where they offered ABBA like, like some ridiculous amount of money. Like, like um, I, I kid you not. Yeah, I, I say, remember like, that. I know what you're talking about. Million dollars yeah. to go on, to go on tour. And they said, no, those people could not stand. Well, you got to remember. So the, the two blondes and the brunettes, yeah, they were, they were solo artists. And then you yeah. had that, yeah. So yeah, and they were the first band where, whoa, the band, the, the members broke up. They were Fleetwood Mac before Fleetwood Mac, another yeah. super group um, that had a laundry list of great guitar players. ABBA broke up because they could not be in the same room together. Very much like Fleetwood Mac wound up being after Rumors. So um, I want to I want to go through the list here. So let's keep going. Yep of of Journey. And I want to talk about who these who these members are, right? So, yep. George, George Tickner, Ross Valerie, Prairie, Prairie Prince, okay, from Frumius Bandersnatch, Steve Miller Band, and the Tubes, respectively. Yep. And then you had Greg Rowley of Santana and Neil Schoen of Santana. So yep. this is one of those bands that very much comes from um, Santana. Like we're, we were talking about bands that descended from other bands. Um, right. And this Santana. is journey is the result of Neil Schoen trying to throw out Santana from Santana. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what this is actually. That's um, what the yeah that is the the uh, rumor that um, the lore. Yeah, that, that I don't think it's told. a rumor at this point. I think I think it's it's not even legend. I think it's a known thing. They've um, only recently buried the hatchet, by the way. Yes, like I know. Last year, year before. So Ainsley Dunbar uh, mm-hmm. replaced Prairie Prince. And he is from Jeff Beck Group, Frank Zappa, and David Bowie. So yeah. if you put that into perspective, I mean, we have a massive lineup there. And, that and when Ross even... Valerie left, you had uh, Randy Jackson come in. And Randy Jackson had been playing for um, somebody else who before that. Original, who was the original singer? Yeah, the original singer was not Steve Perry. I know Steve it Perry was like third. No, I know he wasn't. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't remember who their original singers were. No, nobody does. Nobody cares. Anyway, moving on. Bad Company, uh, that's an obvious one. Paul Rogers yep. of Free, Mick oh, Rouse of Mott the Hoople, Boz yep. Burrell of King Crimson, and he's also yep. done solo work, and then Simon Kirk of Free. Um, so yep. basically that was a band that was descended from Free. 
King um, Crimson and Uriah Heep is another one that that people. Um, well, you're going to see a lot of King Crimson and Frank from, Z- and Frank Zappa yeah. as we go here, because yep. the guys in King Crimson and the guys in Frank Zappa are you have to be an incredible player to to fit into those groups. So and they Uriah get, Heep. Yeah, they'll take anything for money. Like that's basically what happens. Like, well, we'll do that. Okay. Yeah. Um, KGB, um, and then Armageddon. Uh, KGB is Michael Bloomfield, Rick Greck. We heard him on the list before. Carmen DePeach. Uh, you're going to see a lot of him. Barry Goldberg, Ray Lewis Kennedy, and then uh, Armageddon <laughs> was Bobby Caldwell, Louis uh, Sinamo. Um, and I don't re- see now. Now we're getting into bands I don't really recognize. Martin yeah. uh, Pugh of Steam Hammer and Keith Rolfe, Yardbirds and Renaissance, obviously. Um, yep. Sonic Rendezvous Band, don't know this one at all. Uh, it's got one of the guys from MC5 in it. Uh, well, it's hard, hard because that one, never heard of that. Yeah. So I think some of these are, you know, they're being proposed by people that are Wikipedia users that not necessarily everybody's familiar with. And they're like, eh, I don't know if I really qualify as a super group, per se. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> It so, certainly didn't get off the ground. This one I didn't know existed, and this makes me feel bad as a Deep Purple fan, like massive Deep uh, Purple fan. Pace, Ashton, and Lord. Yeah, yeah, that was like a a, a project, more like a, you know, the yeah, Alan Yeah, I think so, too. Which, by the way, uh, again, I know that these guys weren't in huge bands, but um, the Alan Parsons Project was a super group of sorts. So basically, this is the drummer from Deep Purple, Ian Pace, the uh, yep. the organ player, uh, John Lord. And then Tony Ashton of Ashton Gardner Dyke, Family, and Green Bullfrog. Now, he, Ashton and Ian Pace had worked together in Green Bullfrog. Uh, their only album, they had one album with that, with that group. It's called Malice in Wonderland. It was released in 1977. So if we really stop and we think about that, like that's clearly a project because they didn't, yep. they didn't aim for multiple albums. I don't and think the band dissolved. Sure. I think what happened is that like Deep Purple did something. And then they were like, all right, we've got to go back and do our real thing. Um, yep. So, yeah, that was just Lord getting some stuff out of his system. Yeah, so then you have the band UK. Now, I'm sort of familiar with this band, but I didn't know who was in it. It's John Wetton of the family, King Crimson, Uriah Hip. Again, here we're going to start seeing those bands yep. come up again. Uh, Alan Holdsworth. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, I know, uh, right? Bane Bottom, Tempest, and the Soft Machine, uh, and just himself. Um, Eddie Jobson, Curved Air, Roxy Music, Frank Zappa, uh, 801. Yep. Bill Bruford, who you will see his name on this list many a time. Oh, yeah. yeah yes, that, yes that, and King yeah. Crimson. Yep. Um, they did two albums, 1978 and 1979. They did UK and Danger Money. And this is the best part. When Bruford left, um, guess who came in to replace him? Because I think he did a tour with Genesis, and that's why he left. Um, okay. Yeah, that would have been right, 1977. There's my Genesis knowledge coming out. John Lord? No, Terry Bozio. Came, oh, really? <laughs> came to replace Bill. Came to replace Bill Bruford from from Frank Zappa. Terry Bozio from yeah. Frank Zappa. So uh, we're gonna keep going. Funny. Keep going. So now we're at nineteen seventy eight. So we're getting towards the end of the eighties, and you can see that the number of these supergroups is diminishing. You might have one or two a year because number one, the records start slowing down. The record industry starts realizing they can make more money if they don't put out ten records a week. Um, so they start slowing down. So in nineteen seventy eight. Seru Garan, which is an all French band. Um, you can look at again, follow along on the list. If you're interested, you can look up some of these. I'm going to, I'm going to go over the hot ones at this point. 1979, we had Blizzard of Oz. Yeah. Which was the band name of Ozzy Osbourne's band, which, yep. which started out, of course, Ozzy, Randy, um, Bob Daisley of Rainbow and Lee Kerslake of Uriah Heep. 
Um, and then the notorious cherry bombs, which had Vince Gill in it. Really? What? Vince Gill was in the. All right. Oh, Vince Gill was in the Pure Prairie League too. Yeah, that's Vince Gill. Yeah. Yeah. This is the notorious cherry bombs. Rodney Crowell, Emmylou Harris, and the Hot Band. Vince Gill of Pure uh, Pure Prairie League and Solo. Uh, Emery Gordy Jr. of Emmylou Harris and the Hot Band. So this is really? Emily Harry Harris's band's like spinoff. Richard yeah. Bennett of Neil Diamond, yeah. uh, T- Tony Brown, and then Larry London of the Funk Brothers and the TCB band. Now, see, to me, what, what they're leaving out, they're they're leaving people out here. Pure Prairie League was make up made up of some folks, but really, Pure Prairie League begat some other stuff. Now, you can't call the Eagles like take the Eagles. The Eagles, you can't call them a supergroup, but they became a supergroup because you got. You wound up with Joe Walsh, who was from, you know, obviously the, um, the, the stuff that he did before that. Um, you had, uh, uh, what's his name from uh, Robbins from the Pure Prairie League? You had, um, you know, so and that's kind of an interesting thing. But like Edgar Winter's not listed there. Yet look at the look at the stuff you had from the Rascals. You had. Um, yeah. Uh, who's the guy that, that uh, da- not Dangerfield. Oh, geez. Um, starts with <laughs> starts with a D and it's like Dangerfield. Um, but, uh, Rick Derringer, they get Derringer, um, Rick Derringer. You had a lot of people that floated through his band that, that was, um, he, he didn't have just, it was a whole roll of people that came through there. Um, um so, so we go, so that's notorious cherry bombs. The funny thing is yep. they had one album called the notorious yep. cherry bombs, which was released in 2004. Now these really? guys were together in 1980, which means that they recorded something and never released it. Probably. Wow. Um, so then there's a band called the new race, which is radio Birdman uh, people and yep. the Stooges, uh, Ron Ashton, the Stooges and Dennis oh, Thompson yeah. of MC five. Yep. Um, I don't know enough about MC five. I, I, I like that their music. Sense. I just don't know yeah. enough about them. Um, BLT that's Jack Bruce, <laughs> Bill Lorden and Robin Trower. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. That's a big, that's, that's a big record too. And actually yep. later on, Jack Bruce and Robin Trower got together again and they did another uh, they did a Robin Trower record together. Yep. Um, so that's a good one. And then we got like Asia. Now we're finally hitting 82. Okay. Uh, yep. jo- John Wetton, Steve Howe, Carl Palmer, Jeff Downs. The funny that part about a- Jeff Downs is the one that is kind of off the wall here, except that he played with yeah. yes. Cause he was best yeah. known for the, for the buggles. Yeah. Which, yeah. People, people, did, you know, when they did that album, I don't think anybody knew that Jeff Downs was one of the members of the, the three members of the Buggles, the yeah. actual Buggles, who wrote the song, folks, radio, video killed the radio yes. star. And of course, John, John <laughs> Wetton of King Crimson, um, yep. also of the family in Uriah Heep. Of the family in um, Uriah Heep, yep. Uh, so that they, of course, have had numerous records. And of course, Palmer. And now uh, a yeah. laundry Palmer, list of, like Palmer. Yeah, well, a laundry list of guitar players have gone through that band. I mean, they they just... They f- oh yeah, Guthrie. I don't know whether Guthrie Govan was fired or quit, <laughs> but I mean Guthrie yeah. Govan toured with that band. Okay, um, that says uh, it all. Yeah, they had the they had the drummer. What the heck's his name? Sap or something that that's been a drummer for everybody. ACDC. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He's a bald guy that's on the uh, ACDC Live at Donington album uh, and and DVD. If you ever watched that or uh, heard it, <clears throat> that's him. Uh, so that was him on. Um, uh, thunderstruck. Uh, and them, so that was 1983, yep. or 1982, and then 1983. There's 82. some other. 
There's some other international bands in this list. And then all of a sudden, 1984, because uh, if you know your history, I believe it was 82 that Zeppelin finally disbanded after attempting to record a record without John Bonham and failing miserably. Um, yeah. They, uh, Jimmy Page's immediate project in 84 was The Firm with Paul Rogers. Um, so it was Paul Rogers of Free and Bad Company, him from The Yardbirds and Led Zeppelin, Tony Franklin of Roy Harper's band, Chris Slade of Uriah Heap and Manfred Mann's Earth Band. So again, Chris Slade, Uriah Heap is the fun one here because we have seen repeatedly members from Uriah Heap in all of these projects. Probably three yeah. quarter of the ones we've looked at have had somebody from Uriah Heap in them. Um, then we have uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, which that band I've never even heard of. Uh, nobody super notable to me in the band. Again, follow along the list if you can. Uh, Power Station with Robert Palmer. This is Robert yeah, Palmer, that- Tony Thompson of Chic. Uh, John Taylor of Duran Duran and Andy Taylor of Duran Duran. Um, And then we had GTR. Now here's where GTR gets interesting because you brought them up before. Um, The reason I know about GTR is because I'm a huge Yes and Genesis fan. It's Max Bacon, Steve Hackett of Genesis, Steve Howe of Yes. So you have the meeting of the minds, the two big like progressive juggernauts. Yep. Basically when they kicked their guitar players out or they left of their own accord, they put together GTR. Um, Yep. Which did they did uh I think two albums technically. Um and it's good stuff. Uh that band was never meant to stay though, because I Steve Hackett after leaving Genesis is really his own thing. Um Well, I, you know, and, and again there that thing skips um uh bands like uh Toto, which was definitely a supergroup. Now, of course, they were made up of of studio musicians. When did Same with when, River what Band. year was Toto founded? I wanna say seventy nine or eighty. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and yeah, it was Chris Slade, the drummer that I was thinking of was earlier was Chris Slade. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know it started with this. Um, so the band Toto, yeah, they kicked it off. 1976. Uh, 1976, so it was pretty early. And their initial and, uh, lineup was, because they've had a, a laundry list of players. Well, uh, mostly, they mostly replaced in the beginning, it was mostly the singers. You know, singer for the first album, singer for the second album, singer for the... It was like, they can keep a singer for some reason. Yeah, so, well, um, the funny thing is, the only one I know out of this list, outside of being a session player, was Steve Lukather. The, yeah, Steve uh, the, the other people on this list, like Mike Beccaro, I know, but he didn't come in until later. He didn't come in until the 80s. Steely Dan was another super group, but you see, I think that the reason they can't they can't Steely call them Dan, a super group that's is because a tough one because right, they because didn't really they really were weren't a members. band. They didn't have an actual band anymore. By the right. th- by the time they got to like the third or fourth album, they had basically fired the band and yes. they brought that brought the band in as session players. That's what was yes. funny. So even Gr- Jeff Skunk Baxter, who's probably their most famous guitar player outside of uh, Larry yep. Carlton. Um, right. were brought in as he was brought in as a contract session player. Right. Even though he was, you know, the default guitar player for the band. Like that's yep. it's it's hysterical to me that that's how they operated. So Steely Dan was really just Donald Fagan and David Becker. Um, Steely Dan, um, the uh, Alan Parsons project, um, who was made up of members of Magic and stuff like that. Um, or not Magic Pilot. Um, their hit was Magic. Uh, you had um, uh, who was the other one that was like that at that time? Because it was a lot of that that where they created a band 
from session players. Uh, like I said, the Little, Little River Band was well, one of those. To- that's what Toto was. I mean, Toto was. Um, it was somebody else uh, that I was thinking of there. It'll, it'll come to me later. But um, yeah, there was there was that time when uh, they said, "Oh, well, let's uh, let's just do session players." But um, the the weird thing about Fagan and and uh, who was the other one? Uh, not Becker. Was it Becker? Walter yeah, Becker? No. Uh, yeah, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker. Yeah. So um, their first drummer, of course, he wasn't a member of Steely Dan, but their first drummer. Well, yeah, was we've talked about this before. It's Chevy, Chevy Chase. Chase. Yeah. But you know, there's your there's your um, uh, trivia night thing. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, they they brought in a rolling uh, group of people because they were moving out west. They went out to yeah, L.A. Well, they didn't start the roving band thing until they until they got out to L.A. So their first two records yeah. were done with pretty much the same people. And right. then when they got, which I as I understand. They were very expensive to produce because because yes. the kind of quality those guys demanded in the studio right. was expensive because it took a lot of man hours. Yep. Um, so when they went out west, they fired everybody, put everybody on contract. Exactly. Um, as I'm looking here, we're getting to some more notables. Mike and the Mechanics, which is Mike yep. Rutherford of Genesis. From Genesis, um, yeah. And then he's, there's a laundry list of players there. Um, yeah, the one guy from uh, uh, was a band that did uh, Tempted. Um, well, there's Paul Young of Sad Cafe, Paul Carrick of Ace Squeeze. Paul Carrick. Yeah. Adrian yeah. Lee, Peter Van Hook. Um, some of these guys actually went on to do things after Mike and the Mechanics. Um, but that was really, that's really Mike Rutherford's pro- project where he hires a band to play with him. It, he yep. should just call the band Mike Rutherford, but whatever. Um well, those guys are mechanics. There's some good ones though. So God, he fixes his car when he's when he's. So here's not. here's the one that we, we that I missed from 1985 that that's really important. Yeah. The Highwaymen. Oh yeah, with the Johnny Highway Cash, Man. Waylon Jennings, Jennings, Willie Nelson, and Chris Christopherson. Yep. You don't get more A list than that. Okay. You do not get anyone. Those guys, I remember except that for tour. the Traveling Wilburys. Ah, that one's later. That's the night. Yeah, I know. We're coming. So. Yeah, so if you take those four guys, I don't think until the Traveling Wilburys could you have a band that didn't really exist outside of one album, really. Um, that, and I think the Traveling Wilburys did too, right? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. That those guys, when they came through and they toured, everybody wanted to go. I don't care what kind of music you liked, everybody went. I, I saw them live twice, the Highwaymen twice, and that was just incredible to see the um, those guys together and to hear those those words. <laughs> I'm a I'm a singer, and I know that there's some of that voice can can wear on you badly. But let me tell you, that was that was a great great thing. Yeah, I mean, just seeing Willie Nelson and Willie Jennings, incredible. Oh. But um, right. so anyway, Tin, tin Machine. Uh, yeah. this, is, this is 1988 in machines. Oh, yeah. David Bowie, Brown. Reeves Cabral's, Tony yep. Sales, Hunt Sales, and Eric Sherman, Sherman, Sherman Herman. Yeah. I can never say his name properly. Um, yep. that was a, that, they did a couple of records, um, four, I think in total, including the live record, uh, yep. bad English. Which oh was yeah. Bad English made up. John Waite, Neil Schoen. Yep. Yeah. The babies you had, uh, yep. And then Blue Murder, which is John Sykes, oh uh, yeah, Lizzie and White Snake, Ray Gillen, yep. and various others. Uh, Tony Franklin of uh, the firm and Jimmy Page's group, and then Cozy Powell 
Jeff Beck group, Rainbow, Michael Schenker, White Snake, yep. Emerson Lake and Palmer. Again. <laughs> oh, Emerson Lake and Powell, sorry. Um Yes. And then uh Carmen Apache came in later from that band. Uh and um But well, wasn't White Snake a, a a super group? No. And I'll tell you why, because White Snake was hired gun band. Like, uh, they're they're yeah, but, in the same vein as um uh Steely Dan. Well, okay. I will agree with that for their hits, but the first iteration of White Snake included Bar- Bernie Marston. Um, yeah, he was a session player. Were, yeah, but he had played. Who did Bernie Marston play for? Yeah, but he was a session player. It doesn't matter. I mean, I could give you a laundry list of people that Larry Carlton played for. It, it makes no difference. He's still a session player. He, he didn't have an allegiance to that band. He didn't join that band. He was just brought in to do this stuff. UFO. toured with him. Right. He was with UFO before mm-hmm. that. Yep. So, uh, okay. So he wasn't um, a member of UFO? He, well, was, he was a fan. member of UFO. Uh, well, so that's a big question because I've heard varying conflicting reports about how UFO handled the records too. So UFO could technically consider Supergroup too because it had all these guys in it. but. I don't right. think they were expecting people to have the kind of brand allegiance because because look at Billy Sheehan. He was in UFO. Yeah. Um, for at least a point, you know, for example. Um, so then later on, we got, of course, now we're getting traveling Bulberries. So since we talked about it already, we're not going to go too deep yep. into it. But George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, Jeff Lim and Roy Orbison. Yep. And, and actually what caused the demise of that band was the death of Roy Orbison. Yeah. Um, yeah, they would have kept going. So they they did two records, which for a group like that, that's insane. Um, traveling and the funny thing is, they did two records and they had Traveling Wilburys Volume One and Traveling Wilburys Volume Three. Um, yeah, which you is know, it was a joke. So yeah, to keep people guessing, right? It was Volume Two. So and then uh, Mr. Big, and that is a super group. Oh yeah, Mr. Big. Uh, yeah, Eric Martin um, of his solo project, and then Four Fifteen, and then Paul Gilbert of Racer X. Uh, Billy Sheen of Talus, UFO, David Lee Roth's band, and then Pat Torpy of Imploratory, John Parr, Linda Carlisle, American Bandstand. So, um, and of course, Richie Kotzen was was in there for a while. He was in Poison. Yeah, um, yeah Richie Kotzen um, was in Poison, and he slept with one of the members' wives. Is that what? Is that what ended up happening? Yep, that's what happened. Okay, so they, they would never, they would never let him darken their doorstep again. Not that some people are like, yeah, well, fuck Poison anyway. But well, I'm po- saying, well, Poison was basically disbanded at the end of Cotson anyway. So it really yeah. makes no difference. Um, Badlands, Jakey e. Lee, uh, Ray Gillen of Black Sabbath, Blue Murder, uh, George Chasson of Steeler and Eric Singer. I don't know that I would consider that a super group, but it is certainly an interesting combination of players that come from other places. Um, yeah. And then we get uh, electronics. Now we're getting into the bands. That I don't really think really fit the super group moniker as much. They're just, interesting collections of people, damn Yankees. Damn that, Yankees that was, was a super Ted group. Nugent, Tommy Shaw, Jack blades and Michael Cardalone. Car- You're not going to say Cardalone. that's a super. No, that You're one is, that, that is definitely is. That's why, that's why I brought that one up though. No, that one definitely yeah. is. Um, and they had two records. They were very good records. Um, yep. that was uh damn Yankees and don't tread. And then, uh, ring Ringo star had his all-star band. I don't consider that a super group. No, that's a, 
That's a, uh, and they're still going. They were here yeah, last 13 year. Distinct line, 13 distinct lineups in 29 yeah. years. And the only constant is Ringo Starr himself. Um, yeah. And then we had the Breeders. Yeah, okay, the Breeders maybe, maybe. But you know what? Two of the members didn't come from other places, so th- I don't agree with that. Um, Don Dawkin, it's backing band, which is Don Dawkin, mm-hmm. John Norum, Billy White, uh, Peter Baltz, and Mickey D of King Diamond and Motorhead. I don't agree with that being a... No. No, see... We're just getting into there's Temple of the Dog. Now that was that was Chris yep. Cornell, Stone Gossard, Jeff Ament, Matt Cameron, Eddie Vedder, and Mike McCready. So it's like basically got, half of Pearl Jam and half of Soundgarden. Plus yeah, you got Slash the Snake Pit. That's gotta be coming up. Uh, and then of course you got uh, yeah. what's the band that Slash had? Um, Velvet Revolver. That's Velvet a super Revolver. grouper. Super grouper. That's but, a super but I don't think Slash the Snake Pit is. Okay. Um, I'll give you. I'll give you a slash of snake pit. See now we're getting, yeah. So like we're getting kind of obscure. I, everybody knows who Phil Phil Anselmo is probably. Um, but here's a band with him. It's called Down. It's Phil Anselmo and then four other guys that I don't By the recognize way, any Marston, of the bands they were in. Bernie Marston was in a band called Babe Ruth. Do you want to take a guess as who was in Babe Ruth? No, I, I'm I'm curious. Pace Ashton Lord, Tony Ashton. And ex Deep Purple members Ian Pace and John Lord. Yeah, so that's pretty interesting. So that was that's a spinoff of a the weird, Pace Ashton Lord project. I don't think anybody could call. Yeah, I don't think anybody could call that a supergroup because I don't think they released anything good. But they did do two albums: Stealing Home and Kid Stuff. When um, you're that rich, you can do whatever. Yeah, you want. at that point, it's just a it's just a fun project. Um, yeah. so contraband. Which was Richard? This, oh, this yeah. one I remembered: Michael Schenker, Tracy Guns, um, yep. Cher Patterson, Peterson of uh, Vixen, and then yep. Bobby Blotzer of Rat. Um, yep. that's a good band. Yeah, uh, they did one record, ninety-one, and then if you go go on, so they do actually have Slash of Snake Pit listed here. Um, yep. I mean, I'm kind of on the fence with that one. I think several of the members in that band were not well known. No. Um, and there was two Slash. Line- and there's two lineups. So the later lineup, I don't recognize any of them, uh, no. except for Ryan Roxy. Yeah, Slash carried that. Carried yeah. that. Well, I didn't think those records were anything worth writing home about. No. Um, we're 94 now. Bloodline, uh, which is Joe oh. Bonamassa's first band, I think. With oh, yeah. Aaron Davis, Waylon Krieger, who's the son of Robbie Krieger, and then Barry Oakley Jr., who's the son of Barry Oakley. Um, They did one record in 94. They would have been really young. Bonamassa was probably like 16 or 17 when they did that. They must have been young. Um, There's a band called the Backbeat Band, which some of our members, maybe our listeners may be familiar with. They've got David Grohl, Dave Perner of Soul Asylum, Thurston Moore of Sonic Youth, Mike Mills of R.E.M., Greg Dooley of the Afghan Wigs, and uh, Don Fleming of Gumball. Now, speaking of Dave Grohl, just outside of this context for just a second, the first the first Foo Fighters albums. I'm saying that I can't say it three times fast. Um, they're, they're those up, were that's really up next in the list. By yeah, the way. that but was I really just those, David I, Grohl, right? Yeah, but I, I mean, consider on the album. It, that's like um, when uh, 
uh, what's his face? Uh, Lenny Kravitz. He, co- he, he had do collaborators everything. doing stuff on those records, but he was playing he the did, drums but and the it guitar. It was pretty much him doing, yeah, guitar and drums. And vocals. And the, and, yeah, and obviously the vocals. And the bass player for um, Foo Fighters, if I remember right, he almost got his butt kicked out. He was like, eh, I'm not, I'm too good for this. Talk about Pat Smear. Like, Is it Pat Smear? Yeah. yeah. Um, and David Grohl said, okay, there's a door. Don't let it hit your ass on the way out. And he came begging for his job back before anything else happened, before he got replaced. Well, so the Foo Fighters is an interesting one. I, I would consider them more of the Steely Dan variety because, yeah. again, they have a laundry list of musicians that have contributed. To yeah, but really the drummer, although I know that, that um, in the studio it's Grohl, the drummer they use live. I, I don't think it's all it's Grohl always anymore. always the same guy. I don't think it's all Grohl anymore. I think he actually uses – so they have um, – they have a, a, a studio drummer that, that helps them. I, I think yeah. he's also the live drummer. Um, yeah, the, the drummer he uses live is, has been pretty much the same guy almost the whole time. The, so, the one at least when you, that you see in their early videos. Um, the, uh, the bass player has been there for almost forever. Um, but they've had a couple of guitar players have come and gone. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Um, Except live, he's pretty much kept that one guy next to him. I forget who it is. I don't think it's Pat Smear. I think Pat Smear's a guitar player. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. See, I'm really player. dating myself now because I, these are bands that I grew up with that I don't really know a whole lot about. I have Foo Fighters records, uh, and I don't yeah, I like know much that. about the lineup because I always considered it David Grohl. Like, yep. that is his project, and he is very much in control. Yeah, Pat Smear is the other guitar player. Yeah. Um. But I remember that story about the bass player. Yep. Um, I'm just going down to the list. So now we're getting into these these super groups that didn't really sell a whole lot of records before they were together, um, which is kind of funny to me. I would not consider these groups super groups per se. No. Nope. Um, which is really funny because the, the all the members of Guns N' Roses stuck together. Uh, Duff McKagan and Matt Sorum are together a lot on this list. Yeah. Um, going forward. Um, the, now, and, and the stuff's getting way more detailed too. And I think it's because people are like actually paying attention to what's going on around them and yep. writing this stuff down or telling these stories. Um, yep. let's see. There's some rap super groups in, in here. Yep. Um, I mean, there's a lot of them too. And many of these well, bands are, I don't know if you could really call them. Su- That's just it though. When you take a rap supergroup, the, the the very definition of the supergroup goes away when, hey, come in and rap on my on my one album. Yeah, and, and I'm not going to get into that debate for the purposes yeah. of the show, but I kind of agree with you. Um, Liquid Tension Experiment, that's a, a later yeah. supergroup, and that's Mike Portnoy, yeah. John Petrucci, Jordan Rudess, and Tony Levin. Um, yeah. If you have not followed along with Tony Levin over the years, he's from... King Crimson and many, many, many other yeah. projects, including Peter Gabriel's band. Um, yeah. Check out some of his stuff. If you play bass and you don't know who Tony Levin is, get yeah, get some to... learning in because the guy's a freaking monster. Yes, he is. Um, yeah, there's if there's a couple of bass players that I would throw into that that pool, Tony Levin would definitely be. In yeah, the, he's in my he's in my short five. list of like if I wanted to put together a super group, he'd be in the top you know top ten guys that that, that would be on that list. Oh, definitely. Who um, was the guy that the, the older guy that played for um, James Taylor? He'd be he'd be uh, in I there. Forget for his me name too. offhand. Um, 
Yeah, probably. Tall, tall guy that looks kind of like Santa Claus. He's got that. It's uh, always had a white beard, even when he was younger. Um, so I'm just, la- I'm just laughing because like some of these bands, it's a bunch of people. But like, I looked through the list of the the bands that they were in. I'm like, I don't know any of these people. Nah, That's they're not, not a super group. I think um, the big thing to I think the big thing to take from this, or the, when it comes from the super groups, is this. Number one, you had a you had a mixture of musicians who who commingled throughout the years in and out of their supergroups. And we could probably, if we went outside of the supergroup thing and we looked at Oh yeah, everybody's been in other groups and like, yeah. Yeah, we we could probably say like Bernie Marson, who's played on several albums, and you know, Eric Clapton, who played for several different bands. Um you know, and uh and you're thinking, why would Eric Clapton have to play for anybody? He doesn't. He did it for fun. So I got a couple more that we, that I want to bring up. A perfect circle. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah, right? that's a that's great a huge one. Matter of fact, I'm sitting here with my Smashing Pumpkins guitar world right in front of me. Yeah, and yeah, that's a perfect circle's a huge one. Um, yeah. And there was another one I wanted to bring up, and I'm I'm scrolling through the list just to make sure I don't. Yeah, Audio Slave. That's Audio probably Slave. the biggest supergroup of the last 20 years. Because yeah. um, that had Oysterhead. Uh, Trey Anastasio of Fish, Stuart yeah. Copeland of the Police, and Les Claypool of Primus got together, and they decided they wanted to make a metal band. That's what Oysterhead was. Wow, um, that must have sucked balls. Actually, it was pretty good. I think Troy. I just can't picture Troy Anastasio. I can't picture Trey, anything yeah. he does. Trey, whatever his name is. Yeah, I can't picture like he played this guitar he, that was basically made out of a fucking log. Um, yeah, it was a I whole. Saw that. It was a whole thing. Um, yeah. And the other two guys, I think that they're awesome. Stu Copeland and obviously Copeland uh, is what's what, one of my Primus. picks for best drummer ever. Um, yeah, Colonel- and Lace Claypool. I mean, obviously that's another bass player. If you guys haven't pl- listened to him, then your bass yeah. player. Basically, he's a guitar player that that forgot he was playing bass. Yeah, um, Colonel Claypool's bucket of Bernie brains. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Les Claypool, Buckethead. Bernie Worrell of Parliament Funkadelic and Brian yep. Brain Manti of Primus Buckethead and Guns N' Roses. Yeah, that's a band right there. Yep. Um, and they actually had a really, really good record um, that nobody listened to. Um, so they probably shouldn't be on this list anyway. Velvet Revolver. They had two yep, records. The, the second one was terrible. Um, yep. The first one was barely listenable, in my opinion. Um, yeah, there was a couple. You had those big hit songs on and then the rest of the record was just total. Okay, I I just want to. I am with you. So, I Dave Kushner was brought in for this record. Um, yeah, as, as to be a second guitar player, Wasted Youth, Electric Love Hogs, Loaded. I don't think he was that well known. I think he was a buddy of Slashes from some other thing, maybe Slash of Snake Pit or yeah. something. And um, Kushner had he actually Kushner did a lot of the guitar work on the record. Which was really, really funny because you got Slash on this record playing stuff that he's consciously trying to get away from the Guns N' Roses sound. So he's playing BC Riches and using Floyd Rose trims and all kinds of crap on there that's just really, really funny. Totally getting away from what he likes. Yeah. And then, they, and but the thing is, the record follows the formula of Appetite for Destruction, which is why the the first record, which is why I'm like, it's not a good record. It just isn't. Um, It's okay. I mean, it's probably the best hard rock record of 2002. 
Oh, yeah. And, and let's face it. I mean, I'm not going to complain about it, given the fact that at least it was still carrying the torch for rock. Yeah. I mean, you got guys like Audio Slave, which is uh, what's his face there? Um, uh, Chris the Cornell, uh, Tom yeah, Morello. Tom Morello. Who is basically I mean, playing turntables with a guitar. Yeah. I mean, that guy can make sounds. He's he's a Jeff Beck of another different Yeah, Yeah, category. like another like, style of. Um, right. He's definitely an avant-garde style guitar player, and I can respect him a lot. Um, yeah, me too. I don't. I don't particularly. I'm not crazy about what was the band he had uh, that was kind of metal rap. Oh, there uh, the, you're talking about uh, Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against they Machine. They got some good I, records too. It just depends on like what you're going for. I, yeah, again, I that's '90s that. music. You're not a big fan. Like I grew oh. up with that stuff. So, um, but there. I liked Morello when he did his uh, Night Watchman thing. Yeah, yeah, and of course the Audio Slave stuff. So yeah, and I and I dig Morello. I just didn't dig the guy that was singing for him. I just didn't. That not my stuff. favorite either. Um, but he's the heart and soul of what Rage Against the Machine stood for. So when he left, like it was kind of a mess. Um, yeah. So the funny thing about Velvet Revolver is that I, listen to the listen to the list of names because everybody knows who's here, and I'm sure this is probably just going to be you know, touching base for everybody else. Scott Whalen, Duff yep. McKagan, Matt Sorum, Slash, and Dave Kushner, and right. the standout member of this band is none of the people you would expect. In my opinion, it was Dave Kushner. Because yeah. he was left to do, like, basically rescue a record, and he was right. a guy nobody had ever heard of. Yep. Um, and he did a decent job. It's not it's not unlistenable. Uh, yeah. And it was... So they, they disbanded in 2007, which I found surprising, and that was because Scott Wayland was fired. He decided... Well, I thought that he decided... He got fired. Depends but on I who thought you he listen made to. the decision to go to um, back to he, uh, went to. he went back to Stone Temple Pilots. STP, right? But he yeah. went back to STP after he was let go. So it wasn't yeah. like I'm leaving Velvet Revolver well, to go do STP. Honestly, I don't think it, we all know how the story ends, and it's very tragic yes. and it's very sad. But because of that, I don't think that Slash really had much of a choice. I don't think Slash and Duff and the other guys had much of a choice. Well, you, you kind of had to let him go. So he left, right? He had yep. he had obviously major demons to deal with. Um, yep. And what surprised me about Velvet Revolver was they actually talked about getting another singer. And they yeah. kind of went back and forth with it for a long time and kind of left it mysterious. But then that never happened. And then all of a sudden you see Slash's band with Miles Kennedy, um, yep. which... Miles Kennedy could have joined Velvet Revolver. And Easily. I think and I don't know other why members didn't. that were like, no, we don't want to do the same thing we just did. Yeah. Um, and, now yeah, they're all I, and now they're all on stage touring with Axel again, so it doesn't matter anyway. I guess Axel proved that he could, he could, I think that Axel touring with ACDC was, was partially proof that to uh, those guys, to the, to the former members. Oh, they would know. They'd already agreed to get back together when, uh, when that happened, the two well, dates had been announced. Yeah, but they had only agreed to get back together for like eight dates. I think it was like eight or twelve. I can't remember. No, the number got, was really they small. They got booked for the entire tour, but they got to- booked all the way through, and they're still touring. If I understand, uh, it, right? they're going to be touring probably until the money stops. Yeah, and, and so if you think an about insane it, they amount of money on the table. They never have to walk into the studio again. Oh, but well, they will. Axel they will proved, though someday. But. Yeah, but what Axel proved, well, yeah, because it's Axel and he's got to he's got to get his ego out. But see, you he, the he thing is Axel, and I think he's the one that gets stage and and sing. 
what he wasn't doing when he was with them, that was their complaint. He wasn't showing up. He wasn't singing. He wasn't doing his thing. He wasn't being a professional. He, it, the studio stuff was fine. It was right. the live stuff that, that broke them up. If right. I remember the story right. Let me, get, let, me give, let me give you the story as a person that saw them without the actual band. Okay. okay. So I saw, um, and don't let anybody else tell you, because I've heard other people say the same shit, and they weren't there. They didn't hear it. I heard it. Uh, when I went to, I saw them at the Allstate Arena, I think it would have been like 2000, oh, I was still in high school, so it would have been like 2002 or 2003, right? Um, here in Chicago. And um, this show has gotten horrendous reviews everywhere. I have seen people in Facebook comments on, uh, you know, I went to that show. It was terrible. Cause oh, I you're said talking something about, about the, it. the Guns N' Roses show. It was not terrible. Those guys fucking destroyed that venue. The people that were actually there left with their jaws dropped because they couldn't oh, believe yeah. how good it actually you know why, was. You know why the, you know who were making comments about that were people who got shitty audio from some jackass who was standing on the side um, or, didn't or behind go the and just are pissed because with a cell phone. No, see, here's here's what happens. With, I saw some of that footage. I know, I know, but here's what happens with Guns N' Roses. You have that band has a bigger following than I think than anybody actually realizes. And there are people out there that are little fucking bitches who do the thing yep. that, like when when uh, um, Paul Rogers joined Queen. That's not Queen. Right. Freddie's dead. Queen's gone. Ah, cry like a little oh, bitch. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. Listen, three quarter of the band is still alive, you fucking dumbasses. Yes, right. I love Freddie. Freddie is he is so close to my heart. But at the same time, it's That's like right. you can't tell these guys they can't go out and perform. Freddie would exactly. have wanted him to, you dipshit. And exactly. it's the same thing with the same thing happens with Guns N' Roses, right? So Slash quit. He wasn't fired. He quit right. because they he weren't quit. making a rock record, right? So yep. he quits. And really, it's over a little bitchy thing about who played a solo on a particular record. No, and they, who was it? They brought in Gabe. So they brought—I forget who the guy's name is—but it was a friend of of Axel's. And as the story is told by Slash, a tape was was recorded over that had one of Slash's solos for the End of Days soundtrack, right? And Slash did not know about it, right? Slash was on so much fucking heroin. He probably wouldn't have known if you'd punched him in the fucking face. Right. Okay. So and he has to admit that. Yes. And he never has as far as, as far as maybe behind the scenes, but never in an interview that, yeah, I, I kind of knew more about that. than I let on, um, he's very good about being very cool in interviews and yeah. not being like, this is what really happened. Um, we're talking about a guy that died twice on the Use Your Illusion tour and was yep. brought back with paddles, okay? Yeah. Because of heroin overdoses. The yeah. guy was extremely volatile to work with, whether you whether you like it or not. But the the problem I have with the people that still talk about Axel showing up late is that number one, uh, the way that bands used to perform, and they were trying to carry this through, and they were willing to pay the fines, where that they didn't take the stage till midnight. Yeah. Because they didn't write. They, uh, and the venues were like, no, you can't do that. We have a sound. We have, we have to abide by a sound thing. And he, yeah. was, and he would tell them, I'll pay the fees. Now, yep. the problem was the venues didn't tell people what was going on. So right. when you get a contract writer from a band that says, we will not take the stage until 1130 at night or 11 o'clock at night, 
And then they put out the ticket that says shows doors open at eight. At eight, yeah. And people are standing around for three hours after they've heard some two local bands and some shitty yeah, opening right, act. Right, right. They're like, what the fuck? If they got an opening act. They're like, yep. what the fuck? Um, that being said, the hardcores would stay. The hardcores know why they why you go. The other people do not. Now, the contract writers and stuff, and part of the way that that uh, Slash has been able to, or no, Slash Axel has been able to prove to the world that they can actually perform on time was they took Vegas dates and they played yeah. two night two shows a night some nights. So they were they were doing it just to prove that they could be on stage every single night. And he did that with the yeah. um, with the the band he'd put together with. Um, uh, Bumblefoot. Buckethead? No, oh, Bumblefoot. it was Bumblefoot. That was right. Yeah, but Bumblefoot. the Buckethead ba- band was pretty short-lived. I got to see him with Buckethead. Um, Did you? That was the 2002 show. It was Buckethead, yep. the guy from uh, Nine Inch Nails. Um, I'm trying to think who else was notable in the band. Um, yeah, I think it was pretty much it. The guy that did the End of Days solo was there. Um, I forget his name offhand. Uh, and it was a, it was a, an exceptional show that they put on. He, he could perform... I don't care. You may not like his fucking cornrows in that time period, but by God, that guy could sing. He could fucking sing notes that only dogs could hear. And it's just yeah. stupid how good he is. And then you sit there and you, you talk about, oh, he's a little bitch because he didn't show up on time. Listen, yes, big mistake. Should never have done that and been like, we're only going to go on stage that. That's not tr- that's not consummate professional behavior. And it's one of those things where he should have taken those venues to task about not following the contract writer, if that in fact is the case, which I suspect it probably was. Um, And then he has to, you know, now he has to all this defamation of character and stuff that's happened over the years. Uh, If you read any of his interviews with like Rolling Stone and stuff about, you know, him and his, his uh, ex, I I think it was his girlfriend that, you know, claimed he was beating her and everything. And then all the stuff that this happened this past, the dude's got a lot of fucking problems and they stem from, you know, his behavior as a child. He stays out of the media now. He doesn't want anything to do with him because every time he speaks, it's hey. like, oh my God, let's yeah, he twist it. Everybody, com- everybody comes out of the woodwork to, to harass him. And yeah. uh, that's why I said like when that's why so many people felt that the only real guns and roses was slash not nothing to do with Axel at all. Slash was guns and roses. No, he wasn't. No, who was writing wasn't. the majority of the material? Who right. who's got the the guitar tone people actually remember from Appetites for Destruction? That was not Slash's guitar sound. He's got the thin nasally tone, and that's the thing that like kills me is that they we everyone was waiting so long for them to reunite, and I'm like, why? I'd rather have the the you know Gilby. I think it was Gilby Clark was the guitar yeah, player Gilby on that Clark. record. I'd rather yeah. have him come back. That's who I was talking about. Yeah, I would have rather had him come back. So it's well, I, 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 I Guns N' Roses is a band that's extremely close to my heart. Um, and so I I feel like somebody's got to start setting the record straight for what these guys have done over the years. And this whole thing with like, oh, well, they got back together because because Axel could prove he could be on stage. No, they got back together because they were offered like 30 million dollars a show. It was fucking stupid. They they I think they they said they're they're. Uh, First tour when they got back together was like a five hundred million dollar tour, um, and it's to put that in perspective. That's Beatles money, people. Yeah, and when you talked about the number of fans that they had, I can I can tell you that um, Slash was in an interview and he was talking about the, the amount of money they were making. Um, and this was in the nineties. They were uh, no, it was in the two thousands, early two thousands. 
Slash was talking about the fact that they were still selling enough cover copies. This is when albums are cut. Let me get to this. That when albums were still selling, he, they were selling enough copies of, of Appetite for Destruction that they were making a million dollars a week on Appetite. That is that is 20 plus years after the release of the freaking album or so. Is it, so, is it two or, times Diamond now, I think? Yeah, it's several times I, Diamond. Yeah, yeah, I believe it's two times Diamond now, or, th- or yeah, possibly which is a, three at this point. Yeah, which is what? Uh, Diamond is 20 million? Uh, it's ten, it's 10, million, 10 million. 10 million. 10 million. So you look at that, that's 20 million plus records. Look at the number of records they had to sell to make that kind of money. That is just phenomenal. All right, let's 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 look. Appetite for destruction. Yeah, appetite for destruction sales. So the point I'm making is um okay. Speaking of another band, very similar to me. It, the the vocalist guitar player bands are my that's my thing. I love vocalist guitar player bands. Take take um the Rolling Stones. It is not the Rolling Stones without without both Keith Richards and um, uh, Mick Jagger. You can't have one without the other. When you look at um, ACDC, that band was made up, um, you know, and of course people got pissed. Same thing when they had to replace guitar player, I mean the singer. Now he died, had to happen. But that band was Angus Young and, um, you know, Brian Johnson through the 80s, right? Yeah. And in the beginning, Bon Scott. But it was always that that two person thing. To me, Led Zeppelin was made up of. I know that there were that it couldn't happen without Bonham. Let me tell you, to me and to the to the faces of millions, that band was Jimmy Page and um. Uh, oh come on! Now why am I drawing a blank? Probably because I'm looking at my screen, looking at the, the Robert total, Plant totals yeah. for that re- record and shitting myself. <clears throat> yeah, how many is it? Uh, it's it's two times Diamond. Internationally, yeah. uh, they yeah. sold 18 million copies in the U.S. alone. Alone, yeah, yeah. And it's you know still selling. A, you know else? Who else is a two times diamond um, uh, band? Of all the bands, the Dixie Chicks. Yep, have a two times diamond. Um, but anyway, so if you look at the all these guitar player, um, Foreigner was another one I was surprised didn't show up on your supergroup. Yeah, that I agree. Mick yeah. Jones came from Uriah Heep. They had the so that was another yeah. one where I was like, oh, they didn't, they mentioned all these ones that were, you know, we never heard anything of and Foreigner was huge. Um, but anyway, uh, that was another band. It was, waiting. yeah. You had oh, Mick Jones up there with, with Lou Graham. You had Journey was, um, was made up of Steve Perry playing off of, um, Hey, look, that's not, that's not the Foreigner that I'm thinking. Although no, I was, I was waiting song. for the, for Journey to show up on the list. Yeah. Because I'm a dirty white um, boy. Yeah. Journey and, uh, was, you know, obviously um, Steve Perry and, and um, Neil Sean. So you can, you can, and so to people, you can't have, uh, to me at least, it is not Guns N' Roses without both of those guys together. I mean, you can, you can replace musically, you can replace people, but when it comes to what it meant. If, if. And here's here's where I'm going to break that train of thought. If Axel gets on stage with everybody but Slash from the original Guns N' Roses, that's yeah. still Guns N' Roses. But the problem me, was not. Axel fired everyone else. Yes. 
and then he went out with the whole a, band. Yes, that's where the problem is. If he had, if he had left, if Gilby had come back and everybody, and he'd left everybody all original except for Slash, yep. which he didn't. It's not like he fired Slash. Slash quit. Okay. Yeah, I know. That's that's and the thing. I up. I gotta keep hammering home. If he if Slash quits, that's still Guns and Roses. When Steve Perry, not Steve Perry, what uh, what fucking what's his name? The guy from Aerosmith, Joe Perry. When Joe, Joe Perry, Perry quit Aerosmith, they didn't stop being Aerosmith. Uh, yeah, they, they sucked, but they didn't stop being Aerosmith. Stop being Aerosmith. <laughs> Joe Perry's what was Joe Perry's freaking? Oh, are you um, kidding me? He didn't even fucking play that shit anyway. They just kept bringing what, session players in to play over his parts. What the hell was that? What the hell was that? Uh, let me tell you something. Joe Perry probably half those. Half those records were session players. I'm sure. Yeah, I know. I know. As stoned as they were, <laughs> you know, you take you take these bands. You know how how straight were they? When they I know, were right? That's why it took. Uh, that's why it took Guns N' Roses like six months to record Appetite for Destruction because fucking yeah. uh, Slash was so strung out all the time they couldn't uh, even fucking get in the studio together. And, and that's the other thing is like when you watch the, I mean, we talk about these interviews, you see Axel yeah. do an interview and they're like, "Did you ever dabble in drugs?" And Axel's like. He's like, yeah. He's like, I use drugs. He's like, I'm, I'm incapable of being addicted. He's so full of shit. <laughs> like, he's so full of shit. Number one. Number one. Okay. Either he was on drugs, or number two, he wouldn't touch them because he was terrified of them. Because he's, he's a very, very scared man. Like yeah. he lives his life being very frightened of a lot of things. And I would yeah. not be surprised at all to find out he's a complete straight edge. Like, doesn't even drink. I mean that that's where I think he sits, but um, I don't know. So uh, back to our super group discussion. So we talk about we, we we're coming guns. up on our, our yeah. Time. We, oh, I know, and I got one more thing to talk about. All right, um, one more. So I want to. Well, I got to do my rant at the end here. Um, yes, we're going to be doing for people who want to jo- subscribe to our Patreon. I'm going to be doing David's dumps, which is basically <laughs> me. Probably in front of a camera, uh, yep. with my microphone set up, just going off. Um, I don't do it on the show as much as I as I'd like to because I think the audience for the show is too wide for me to get really upset um, yep. with certain things. Uh, but we're going to be doing this. Um, I have one more band to bring up, and that's the Winery Dogs, and then we'll go into my first rant just so that people can get a get a get a feel flavor of the turmoil of turds what are spew from my mouth <laughs> okay oh the winery dogs oh okay, my so god okay go dogs, john, john sykes um richie coxon right uh well he came in later so it started out with john sykes mike portnoy yeah. and billy sheehan and then it became richie coxon mike portnoy right. and billy sheehan and they're a great band like a, a solid band i highly recommend them they're probably one of the few still functioning um, super groups that are out there right now. I'm sure yeah. there are others, but they're they're one of the more well known ones. Um, check course. them out. So anyway, so my first rant um comes from, and I didn't think of a clever title. They will have clever titles, and they will have a little intro, and I will break them down in section by section basis, so that we yeah, can. Those focus who wonder where in. all of our clever titles come from, it's David. They will. Fo- no, they don't all come from me, but I will focus in. We'll zero in on a topic and and laser destroy it. Okay, so this week's rant from hell, David Dump, is uh, let's talk about let's talk about 
streams and being counted as sales of a uh, particular yeah. song single. All right. So this came to my attention and, and, and shame on me for not knowing this. Um, I was watching an interview with Justin Hawkins of the darkness and they asked him, do you feel that you're successful given that you've only really had one big hit record? And he said, well, we've gone gold in every record we've done. And then they're like, well, but yeah, but you've never had the repeat success of permission to land. And then he says, he says, well, it depends on how you d- define it. He says, I don't think anybody's getting platinum records anymore. And they I, go, well, the, the sales numbers say differently. And then that's when he says the sales numbers are bullshit because he says, if you're counting streams and download streams as downloads or purchases of the music, then it's bullshit. And you know what? He's absolutely fucking right. Uh, I'm sorry, but the fact that we have an entire culture of people that are using Spotify and paying some stupid monthly fucking surcharge to go and download every piece of fucking music that comes across their brain is not the same thing as having to go to the store and plop down 10 to 15 bucks for a CD, take it home and actually listen to every piece of trash that's on that album. Yes, we know about filler. There might be three songs on there you want and the rest is filler, but you know what? That's how these people are lining their pockets and keeping the the lights on some of these people can't even fucking they, they don't they wouldn't have a place to live they'd be living with their parents if you didn't fucking buy the whole record so now what have we done we have taken away the commodity that is music and we have made a culture of uh, uh music where people can no longer profitably continue to produce art that's a fucked up situation and the bigger problem is that we have ma- now made that a monetable or monetizable commodity so the reason why downloads and streaming and calculating these numbers are important for business, because if you're Spotify and you want to have a bunch of fucking ads play in the middle of your thing, you need to know what songs are popular. But here's the real issue why I have a rub with this. So imagine you're at work and you have Spotify. So you turn it on and you pick maybe one song and then let it decipher a playlist for you of all these other songs that they think you'd be interested in. Or you just turn it on and say random. And suddenly you've got a playlist from hell complete with Katy Perry and all these other fucking crazy pop people who you can, who you will not know who wrote the song, who you will not know who performed on the song other than the vocalist, who you will not know who did all the auto tuning and the the pitch correction and the rhythmic adjustments. Yet you're just going to let this stuff play. And you know what that means? That's money in these fucking people's pockets. You're giving them royalty checks by letting Muzak happen. Muzak, that stuff that just floats in the abyss around your ears, but not in it. It's not, you're not interested in it. You just want noise on. Well, I got news for you. Put a CD in your CD player. Use a fucking curated playlist, for Christ's sakes. No more random. Don't put music on for noise. Turn your TV on. Turn a fan on, for Christ's sakes. You don't need music to, to, to just give these people money. Stop paying the Katy Perrys of this world. It needs to stop. Britney Spears doesn't need your money. Whatever fucking pop act doesn't need your money. You know, and I just, I, it, it, it infuriates the shit out of me that people don't seem to understand by just letting shit happen like that passively. You're just... You're you're rewarding shit art. Stop it. Stop it. I'm done. Tapping out. I like that. And with that, I have been Jim. <laughs> and I have been David. 
And we have been shitty practical practical guitarists. guitarists.